Hello and welcome to this week's Why Football podcast with me, Etch Doku, and Michael Dryden. How are you, Dryden? Yeah, I'm good. I'm not bad. Um, still in lockdown, been watching the Premier League, trying to keep fit. Uh, I've been doing quite a lot of sprints recently, and you just look so odd in the park on your own doing sprints. Especially you. Yeah, especially yeah. me, yeah. But it just looks like you're playing imaginary football. <laughs> it's a bit mad. But yeah, the Premier League's back on. And any Sheffield United fans that are tuning in, you know, I've just, I feel for you. Like, yeah. Honestly, I just, I could say a few words right now, get emotional. I actually feel for them so much. The keeper's just resting in the net. <laughs> how is he not giving it? How is he not giving it as a goal? How are you, Rich? Yeah, I'm good, actually. Um, I just wanted to clarify that I actually do go running. Uh, oh really? Yeah. Yeah, there were some que- yeah, there were some questions. Yeah, um, uh, one of my one of my friends, AJ in particular, uh, basically called me and said I don't run. I have the running shoes, the pictures, and the equipment to prove that. Right. Okay. Uh, so I'll be doing That's, that. Yeah. yeah. Please, please post that on the on the at Wi Football. Yeah, we'll do. Uh, people are dying to see. So <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, last week, ten twenty six is my birthday. Um, thank you all for sending in lovely birthday gifts. Well. I'd, um, it's good clarity to be fair because I think people must be wondering like why is that Dryden guy recording with a 40 year old bloke <laughs> uh, why did is they, he okay why did, they, <laughs> why did they get a laugh <laughs> but yeah no 1026 that was good spent some time with my family which is which is great as well um, but every year so I share a birthday with um, legends like myself so Jordan Henderson Jordan Henderson Kendrick Lamar and also Venus Williams so elite elite sportsmen like myself and they never reply to my tweet. Every time I tweet them uh, to say happy birthday to obviously the elite athletes, they never reply. Um, really? You must be the only person that does that as well. That might, that might be why. Yeah, because we're the only elite athletes that have birthdays on those days. Oh, right. Okay. Um, so, so, yeah, they didn't reply, which is quite sad. Um, hopefully next year, you never know. They might have a bit more free time to actually just right, okay, reply yeah, back we'll to me. Right, okay. We'll watch out for that. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> Today, Dryden will be looking at why more and more ex-pros are moving into high-level club roles, such as the director of football or technical director roles, what these roles actually entail, and why they hire ex-players for these positions. Before we start, please don't forget to follow us at YFootball underscore for information on future episodes, amongst other interesting points and discussions. So before we go into specific roles and the ex-player, how are clubs actually structured? So if we take Premier League as an example, at a basic level, most football clubs are not structured differently to any other large organisations. Typically, they'll have an outright owner, a majority shareholder with a majority of the voting rights and a control over appointing a chairman and selecting the board. They are then likely to have a managing director or CEO sit below the board. Typical business functions also exist, such as HR, finance, marketing, like any other business. Football in the larger um, clubs is therefore simply a unit of the business um, and this is where head of football director of football or sporting director comes in heading up that unit in theory the director of football oversees the appointment of the manager oversees recruitment contract negotiations scouting staff appointments um, such as physios doctors and anything related to the football side the reality of course depends on the scale of the club and the owner and the interference from that owner or the board. So the examples at Premier League level are at Arsenal, head of football is Raul Sanley. Liverpool have a sporting director in Michael Edwards, previously at Portsmouth and Tottenham and came to prominence through his use of data to analyse uh, the team and transfer targets. Um, United don't have a director of football 
And that's why you see Ed Woodward still heavily involved in the football inside. Mm -hmm. And there's been calls in the press and by fans um, for the club to bring in someone at that level Mm -hmm. to provide more of an input. Um, The same is true to an extent at Tottenham with Daniel Mm -hmm. Levy. Poorly run club. Very, very, yeah. Thanks, Mm -hmm. Etches. Chelsea have Marina Granovsky as director of football, well pronounced. There's going to be a few of them coming up. Mm -hmm. Um, She actually started off as Abramovich's PA at one of his um, non-footballing companies. Um, there's now director of football at Chelsea. And Man City uh, Man City have Cheeky Begerstein. Again, well pronounced. I had to watch a video on that one. Yeah, well done. Um, and he's been director of football since 2012, formerly at Barcelona. A lot of those I've just mentioned weren't ex-players. So it's not typically a theme in England, but English clubs do employ ex-players, which we'll come on to. These rules or similar have been compared to, say, the general manager role um, at US franchises. Um, such as baseball. Yeah, it's interesting you touched on uh, Liverpool's use of analytics and whether Arsenal actually invested heavily and bought out this company called StatDNA. Mm. So they provided like numerous statistics which are beneficial for how the team played and progressed on the pitch. Uh, it was slightly negative though in terms of player recruitment apparently. So it warned Arsenal away from Antoine Griezmann. Mm. Mm. I won't comment on that one. And it supported moves for players such as Gabriel Polista. The man always, yeah. m- always taking that walk down the uh, yeah, dugout after red card. I mean, yeah. <laughs> if those rumours are true, then it's, it's not it's not the greatest uh, set of results. But you also wonder whether the role of the DOF actually varies slightly within these club structures mm. due to the backgrounds of the people that occupy them. So we touched on Edwards at Liverpool, who was formerly a football analyst. Yeah. Uh, so... Compare that to Sanyehi, who was involved with Nike in terms of marketing and sales mm. before he joined Barcelona. So that could mean we could see, you know, someone like Edwards has a more hands-on approach with scouting decisions, whereas he may lean on for a lot more advice with contracts. Someone yeah. like Sanyehi would probably have more experience on the contract side, and therefore he might decide to have more of an invested interest there. Yeah. So who are these ex-players, and what roles do they occupy? Can you give us some examples? So during my research, I underestimated how many ex-players had gone into senior club roles, such as director of football, head of football, uh, or non-coaching roles generally. Far too many to actually list. Um, On the continent, it seems a lot more of a theme to have ex-players in these positions as well. So in Germany, many clubs have ex-pros as sporting directors. For example, Thomas Hitzelsberger, formerly of Villa. De Hammer. Yeah, absolute wand of a left foot. Is left foot? Right foot? Yeah, left left. Um... He's at Stuttgart as director of football. We've got Hassan Salahamidic. I think that's third good pronunciation on the bounce. Um, mm. At Bayern Munich, a sporting director. Rudy Voller is Bayer Leverkusen sporting director. Christian Hegel and Ralph Rannick are at Schalke and Leipzig, respectively, both as sporting directors. The most famous, you'd say, from the Bundesliga and arguably one of the first or one of the first kind of high-profile ex-players to go into a director of football and position is Michael Zork at um, Borussia Dortmund. Regularly snapped with players and their agents following successful contract negotiations, uh, i.e., Marco Royce. And actually, on the uh, Bundesliga website, they have an interesting definition of what a sporting director is. So it goes, they are former players putting their inside knowledge of the game to good use, renowned wheeler dealers whose silver tongue secures the right player for their club, and are, to a man, art strategists in whom the hopes of the Bundesliga's finest lies. They are sporting directors. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I thought it was pretty um yeah, it's pretty 
dramatic stuff. Yeah. Um, and on the rest of the continent, we see a similar theme. So PSG, Monaco, Juve, AC Milan, um, all have ex-players or ex-pros um, as their sporting director or director of football. Eric Abidal is director of football at Barcelona. Everyone know him very well. Um, you have Ramon Rodriguez Verdejo, if that's a, if that's how you pronounce it, at Sevilla, who's a former goalkeeper there, a sporting director. And then, as most people would know, Edwin van der Sar and Mark Overmars both occupy positions at Ajax. Interestingly, Edwin van der Sar is actually CEO of Ajax. So he used to be managing um, a marketing director. He was promoted to that position in 2016 and was actually linked to the United Director of Football role um, in 2019. Yeah, van der Sar being CEO, as you rightly said, must be quite unique in football. His success there, or potential success there, could see more pros take on even more corporate roles mm. at that high level, uh, rather than sticking at the more technical director role or director of football role. Mm. Well, as I've mentioned, in the Premier League, we don't see as many ex-pros uh, in senior roles with such large responsibility. Um, the examples of players that have went into non-playing roles are Petr Cech at Chelsea. He's technical and performance advisor. Um, and so he was brought in largely on the on the back of the fallout between Marina Granovskia and uh, Antonio Conte. Um, we were actually on non-speaking terms at one point, allegedly over the unsuccessful attempt to sign Leonardo Bellucci from Juventus. And if that was confirmed, but they were literally on not on speaking terms, <laughs> wow. which is not helpful when you're, <laughs> when you're director of football and your manager aren't even talking. So I think the idea at Chelsea was bringing Petr Cech as that kind of buffer between the um, director of football and then Roman as well and uh, the manager. We also have Edu at Arsenal. Uh, he's previously general manager of the Brazil national team mm. and was brought in as technical director, um, I believe, last year. Yep. And Arsenal state that Edu will coordinate the work of our first team coaching group, the academy and player scouting and recruitment in order to oversee the constant building up and efficient strengthening of our squad. So I think you can see here that Edu's role as technical director is actually a lot more focused on the actual playing squad. Yep. And he won't necessarily focus on, say, um, affecting contracts between players um, and staff. So it does, beg, it does beg the question, I think, generally, um, do these players actually have power and, responsi and responsibility in their roles? Yeah, a lot of these clubs have top teams or committees. And like you said, you wonder how much uh, say these pros have. Uh, big teams that have these uh, types of setups have highly regarded chief scouts, mm. CEOs who are very involved in the footballing side, like at Man United and at Tottenham. And what that could happen, what that could mean, sorry, is that you could leave the ex-pro not really carrying much weight as he could do when it comes to key decisions being made. Mm. But the exchange is that, you know, if they do press conferences or release information from the club, they're a familiar face, which the fans know very well. Yeah. I think it's very much the idea that any sort of bad news or just say sensitive information that's been um, communicated by, say, Petr Cech rather than Marina is going to be taken better by fans. Yeah, because even so. though he's not got any experience, particularly at Chelsea doing that sort of role or a non-playing role, fans are still, you know, you know what fans are like, we're probably mm. the same. Like You're far more likely to, to trust what comes out of a, a an ex-player who's played 200 times for your club rather than someone you don't know um, and never heard of who's came in at a senior role. Um, that's such a director of football announcing big changes, key changes. How have these roles always existed? 
So one thing to real to remember is that clubs used to be so much smaller. Like they literally just used to be football clubs run by, say, an owner. Then they might have um, an executive that would sit alongside the manager to handle contract um, and just typically non-footballing stuff. And then the manager would do everything else around that. So he'd look after scouting, recruitment, obviously look after the team. Over time, clubs have grown vastly in their operation. I mean, Man United are worth several billion pounds. Mm. Um, and so they need to create... I mean, they're a bad example because I haven't got one. Yeah. <laughs> but they, they, so they need to create specialised roles um, to, to reduce the burden on, on staff, which is why it's surprising that Ed Woodward hasn't got someone below him in a director of football, a head of football role, um, to kind of ease his burden. Yeah. Yeah, in the post-Fergie world, United haven't really performed very well at all. I mean, they've wasted large sums, or should I say spent large sums of money <laughs> on players like Martial, Schneiderlin, Depay, yeah, Depay uh, Di Maria and Lukaku. In defence of the latter three, they've been razor sharp since moving on. Uh, Lukaku's doing well at Inter, Di Maria now at PSG mm. and Depay at Lyon. Uh, the jury is still out on Martial, um, but it's still the point that all this money could have been better spent or these players could have been better utilised potentially with the, with a the director of football that would have helped integrate the players better, better coaching for them, maybe in terms of team shape and how they play. These players could have flourished uh, at United had they been given those ingredients. Yeah, I think it's easy to say that these are rash decisions. We don't know what goes on mm, behind true. the scenes, but the Alexis Sanchez deal is just... you know, I read that Ed Woodward saw it as a kind of marquee to bring him in, to bring him from Arsenal and something that would actually boost the squad. But I mean, these, this, these decisions need to be made by... Well, firstly, they've got to come from the coach and staff, the manager. Yep. And you'd think at the very least you'd have someone with experience in the game, whether they're an ex-player or not, who's actually going to be then sitting on the negotiation table, mm. uh, negotiating table. And um, that doesn't seem to be the case. Why do these clubs hire ex-players for these positions? Well, it's it's more of a discussion point. I think it, I think it depends largely on who the owner is and also who the CEO or managing director is. Um, and how much influence they have over the day-to-day running of the club. The club. So if you have an owner that is simply, and it could just be an organisation that owns your club, um, that's quite distant. Their other, their other side of their business or businesses isn't football related, and so they really need heavy input from yeah. someone, not just to or a handful of people or a whole, whole group, to actually run the club day-to-day and also to make key decisions and help out with a lot of negotiations. Um or you may have an owner, and you, you perhaps put Roman Abramovich in that bracket. We don't know, obviously, but it seems like he is someone. He's always at games. He's someone who seems to be a bit more hands-on. Um, seems to have more of a love for the game as well. Um, so, so where you have an owner or a CEO who's actually really influential and wants to be really influential in day-to-day running the club in terms of even the team, um, then the player that they bring in, this ex-pro, ex-player at the actual club, is probably going to be more of a figurehead. But I think it's a lot easier for an owner to then not only communicate that to fans, but as we've seen with Chelsea, communicate that down the down the um, down the ladder to the management, on how that communication comes back as well, because seemingly it broke down before. Yeah, I hear this quite a lot that ex pros are needed in these roles because they understand the values of the mm. club and they understand the fans. The question is, do they? In my opinion, understanding the values of the club isn't extremely difficult to grasp. Yeah, They'll let you know at the end of a result and they'll let you know on Twitter, Facebook, fan forums. Mm. So I don't necessarily think that hiring an ex-pro 
means that automatically they fully grasp it. I think mm. anyone can do that. I do agree with what you said as well, that having a familiar face at board level or senior level within the club gives a sense of identity to the fans, which yeah. can be extremely valuable when the times are tough. And as you said, that helps assure frustrated fans that their voices are heard if it's coming from an ex-legend or mm. an ex-pro. I mean, if you're a Man City fan in 10 years' time and Vincent Company is director of football and Yeovil dismantle you 9-0 in the FA Cup, <laughs> it's better that it comes from Company <laughs> rather than from corporate Stephen instead. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And while most fans don't actually know the players that they support or they have a lot of love for, such as yourself and Thierry Henry, even myself, Thierry Henry, absolutely legend, mate. Um, I think fans still think that they know that person, they trust them and they have a yeah. real feeling towards them. So that when that player is coming out and giving um, details of why a certain manager's being sacked, why a player's being sold, when you hear from Thierry's voice, I know he's not director of football at Arsenal, but if you hear from Thierry's vo- uh, voice, hypothetically, I think you're going to trust what he says because you feel like he's already done a lot for the club. Why would he lie? Yeah. As opposed to someone who's come in um, as a director of football and is just doing a job like, like anyone else would be doing. So I think the questions that this topic brings up um, is that are these players actually brought in for their acumen or to build the idea that footballing men are in key decision-making positions within the club or are they simply just to bridge the gap as we've touched on? Um, most players, unless they've studied during their career, are unlikely to have experience of a skill set that you'd find in such positions or director roles at other organisations. Um, it's, it's quite a senior position. You've got a lot of people with underneath them so they haven't got experience experience in managing personnel in a business and they haven't got experience making business decisions and handling contract negotiations so it makes you wonder are these the right players to go in are the right sorry are the right people to go into the role as opposed to someone with actual experience in those fields yeah yeah i think yeah it depends kind of on the ceo and how likely the they want to get involved and how invested mm. the owners want to be. I think the Glazers at United seem very relaxed in letting Woodward steal the ship or steer the ship, sorry. Whereas Chelsea is more the opposite, where Abramovich is very, very involved yeah. as an owner mm-hmm. in the running of a club. One thing we haven't really touched on is why these players take these roles to begin with. Mm. You know, as you said before, this has been a role which has grown as football clubs have grown. And before, you know, a lot of ex pros went into management. In modern football, it seems to be punditry, seems to be the most popular choice. Uh, you've got people like Balak, Henri for a time, Keane, Patrice Evra, who are all pundits and had great careers. But I'd like to understand what takes these pros mm. to their old clubs to take on these roles. You know, having an affinity to that club is probably one of them. I saw Ryan Bertrand came out recently and said that that's where he sees himself. Yeah, and he's so young. Yeah, which so I find, yeah, which I find really interesting, uh, you know, for a player to say, you know, forget the management, I want to go straight in to be a director of football. Um, <laughs> tell my boss that actually it works. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it, it could come down to perhaps the constant spotlight, the abuse that management brings is less desirable than what a director of football role brings. You're still very connected to that club. You're away from the spotlight in terms of the constant media pressure, the fan pressure. That does come, but mm-hmm. not as much as management. And I think that role kind of gives them the opportunity to stay close to their club, but away from the heat, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think also the standard of coaching or um, being a manager seems to have increased. Maybe, yeah. I'm, maybe I'm wrong. I wasn't around in the 80s and 90s, but um, you seem to have to have now a real philosophy behind you as a manager, quite a deep thinking philosophy. Um 
and have to you obviously have to train to be a coach and, and so on. Um, and so it, it begs the question of when you when you do retire at say thirty eight, not <laughs> not um, not particularly not particularly um, old time to retire. What do you do with your career? Yeah. Um, so you've got people who go down the the media route as you do because while a lot of these players have been remunerated very highly as players and due to sponsorship contracts and so on. If they don't have anything else alongside their um, playing career, such as business interests, I know Gary Neville had hotels and has his restaurant business. He also is a media. But then what? Wh- where do they go into? They might not have an appetite to coach. They yeah. might not feel they have the skill set to do so. They also might not have an appetite to go into media and for the same reasons, might not, might not feel they have the, the skill set. Might not be a fan of the media. They've, been, they've probably been... Uh, They've probably been absolutely abused throughout their career yeah. um, by certain media publications. So uh, it does. It's really interesting that someone like Bertrand would come out mid twenties and say, "You know, what, I actually want to be one of these these someone in these positions," which I think is really interesting. Yeah, what I'd like to see in the next ten to fifteen years is the trend of how many footballers actually go into these roles mm. compared to how many enter management, compared to how many go into punditry. There was that piece of analysis which looked at England's so-called uh, golden generation yeah. and how many of them are actually pundits rather than coaches. Uh, it would be interesting to see if that trend changes and we see a lot more of these pros actually go into senior director of football roles rather than coaching and even rather than punditry. Um, my my head says what we'll see is probably more towards director of football roles as all clubs grow bigger because we're looking at director of football roles at only the biggest clubs but as the sport gets bigger that yeah. will trickle down to mm-hmm. championship absolutely or league one maybe even league two at some point yeah and that's something i didn't really touch on actually is that um outside of say the premier league most clubs in the championship in league one league two don't have these roles because their clubs just aren't big enough mm. um i mean Sunderland are a great example i don't want to bang on every pod about Sunderland, but we were in the Premier League for 10 seasons. We used to have uh, Roberto Defanti, who was at Udinese, started with um, bringing uh, Alexis Sanchez to Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, so when he came in, I was rather excited. Look what happened there. But um, <laughs> So we had a director of football. We had chief ex- we have chief executive now, but we had a lot, a lot of staff members at that level. And now we're in League One. We have a CEO. We have the board, which is three people. And then underneath that is just like generic personnel and the manager. Like it's and Phil and his dog. And Phil and his dog, yeah, yeah, he's obviously there. Yeah. Thank you, John, for doing the research this week. No problem. And thank you all for tuning in to this week's Why Football podcast. Please don't forget to follow us at YFootball underscore for future content. Cheers, guys, and see you next week. See you next week, guys. Cheers.